in this podcast, Dinosaur Dan and Narwhal Nina celebrate the tragedy and triumph of scientific discovery and the unbreakable human spirit as we discuss the true story of North Pole exploration. Here at High Touch High Tech, we love sharing the wonder of discovery, and we hope this podcast inspires you to explore something new in your world today. Oh, I am so happy today because first, I'm speaking with Narwhal Nina, truly a legend among high-touch, high-tech scientists out there. Um, And our topic today is just so exciting. I cannot wait to talk about it with her. Thank you, Dinosaur Dan. That is a legend introducing a legend. (laughs) I am ready. You bet, man. Yes. We're a legendary crew here, and we we are. are ready to tell you the truth about the North Pole today. We have some epic polar science to share, and we hope you enjoy this holiday edition of High Touch High Tech's podcast all about the North Pole. Ooh, that's very dramatic. Well, first (laughs) of all, it's one of my favorite um, conversations because, you know, it's very exciting because uh, we all know a, a particular gentleman dressed in red with a beard and a little heavy set that actually is a resident of the North Pole. Yes, when we think of the North Pole nowadays, we think of Rudolph and Santa and Mrs. Claus putting marshmallows in cocoa. But the actual fact of the North Pole is that it is a ravenous maw of ice that gobbled up many a scientific adventurer before it could truly be understood. The real story of the North Pole is a story of tragedy, triumph, and the persistence of science. So if you want to put a marshmallow in your cocoa, put your feet up in your nice warm house and hear us tell you all about this chilly phase of scientific exploration, you're in the right place. Wow, I am so excited. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess we'll just dive right into it then. Okay, well, we have two poles of the Earth, right? We have the North Pole and the South Pole. And we think of the North Pole as this cutesy holiday place, when in fact the North Pole is incredibly dangerous. It's got to be one of the most dangerous environments on Earth. And why? Well, unlike the South Pole, There's no land underneath it. It is a shifting labyrinth of ice. Depending on the season, the ice could be 10 feet thick. It could be six feet thick. It could crack at any time you're walking on it. There's really no way to even map it because it shifts endlessly. So just for a start, that's plenty of challenge. Yeah, frightening, Mm -hmm. truly. Yes. Yes, and so we have in the past 200 years a scientific race to find the geographic North Pole that involved hundreds of scientists and incredible persistence and a lot of sacrifice. There's even a controversy over who was the first to reach it. We're not totally sure because it was so difficult. But we do think there were some people that definitely reached the North Pole. Wow. Well, they, it was, you know, obviously it was for, not for a lack of trying because there was so much desperation there Mm -hmm. and there was some loss of life 
um, trying to discover the North Pole. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's, that's scary. Yes. And I think it's a great example in one way of showing us the nature of science, how one generation will attempt something. The technology quite can't realize it. And then the next generation takes up the idea and builds upon it and then reaches the goal. Um, recently with the Nobel Prize, we had that situation. Um, Roger Penrose and Stephen Hawking mathematically built on Einstein's theory of relativity to prove black holes. A generation later, the telescope technology was ready and observers were able to see the black hole. Wow. So science builds generation on generation and North Pole exploration is a really good example of that. Yeah, yeah. Of Interesting. Course. Yeah. So scientists like Stephen Hawking were mm -hmm. standing on the so on the shoulders of an explorer that risked his life or her life to arrive at the North Pole. Yes. That's oh my a great goodness. quote, Dan, the idea of standing on the shoulders of giants. Right. And such tough giants they were. Yeah. So the story of this exploration, um, for a long time, the North Pole was inaccessible. And I'd like to start with the idea that there's still a big bitter controversy in the scientific exploration world about who did reach the North Pole first. It's a controversy, but also at the same time, we have to kind of say, well, duh. <laughs> Who do we think really reached the North Pole first, Dan? Chris Kringle. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> it's a scientific fact, of course. Actually, we think it was the Inuit people who had been living there for a right. really long time. Right. Without the Inuit people, polar exploration as we know it with modern scientific methods would not have happened. Right. The Inuit were probably the first people to reach the North Pole probably several times, but there was no documentation, so we can't be sure. But shout out to the Inuit people living in this harsh environment yeah. that kills people within 24 hours. These folks have lived and made communities for thousands of years. Right. And without their techniques of dog sledding, walrus hunting, navigation, None of the polar exploration we know would have happened. So they're kind of like the Sherpas who helped people discover, I'm putting it in air quotes, the top of Mount Everest. Yeah, because it's, it's hard to discover something where people are already living. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so the documented expeditions to the North Pole that returned us lots of scientific data about currents and temperatures and depth would not have happened without the Inuit people's expertise and survival genius. Right. Adaptation, you know, to be able to adapt and survive in those in that climate with all those difficulties. Can you imagine? There's not even Amazing. vegetation up there. No. So we're going to talk about two stories of polar exploration that show us a lot about science. So let's talk about when you're in the North Pole, how do you move around? Hands down for an explorer. The bare minimum is not like, ooh, cross-country skiing or dog <laughs> sledging. Ooh, it's not a one-horse open sleigh by any means. When you're in the North Pole Arctic region, it's a shifting sea of ice. So what you might hope at best is to ski for a long distance until ice blocks your way. When that happens, you have to take off your skis or unharness your dogs and sled, find a way around the ice, measuring it the whole time for thickness so it doesn't crack under your feet. When you find your way around, put your skis back on, harness your dogs, and try to go a few more feet. 
it is foot by foot out there. And then if you're lucky or unlucky enough to have the ice break up and open water appears, what do you have to do? Break out your kayak and kayak through the open water until ice blocks your way. Take the kayak out, put it back in the water when you found your way around the ice. Whew. I'm exhausted just listening I to that. I know, I got out of breath My goodness. just thinking about all that stuff. So polar exploration is like the ultimate test of endurance and physical fitness on a good day. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Speaking of days, I, I imagine the length of daylight mm -hmm. uh, is really an advantage to the Inuit people because as they would travel and, and go about... It was daylight for extended periods of time. That's true. You get these kind of perpetual dawns for a long period where yeah. it's daylight, but you also get long periods where it's just dark. Right. Which is discombobulating to kind of the human yeah. circadian rhythm is right. not used to it. Right. And I hear when you go to the North Pole, what time is it? If you're at the geographic North Pole where all time zones meet, it's whatever time you want. <laughs> time doesn't work anymore up there. Well, it still exists, but time doesn't measure there. You can call it whatever you like. Um, compasses don't work well up there because every direction, I believe, is, is south. Um, it's, it's a discombobulated yeah. place on a good yeah. day. Plus, it's shifting. Mm -hmm. The magnetic... Yes. Um, the, 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 um, the magnetic mm -hmm. pole of the north is is constantly shifting yes. um, based on these really cool charged particles from the sun. And and uh, so for you to have an accuracy associated with like a compass mm -hmm. or any other, uh, and nowadays with, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, like GPS system mm -hmm. is, uh, is very harrowing. Yes, it's incredibly difficult to take measurements up there. The magnetic pole, I hear the North Pole, is about a thousand miles away from the geographic North Pole at wow. this point. It's moved wow. so much. And it was magnetism and the understanding of magnetism that drove some of the first Western scientific method-based explorers to seek the North Pole. Um, and when some of the first expeditions launched, um, one of the most famous ones I'll talk about was in the 1840s. When it first launched, one of their big things was to find out the secrets of the magnetic pole. There weren't even any maps when these guys headed off. And this moment in science was called the Franklin Expedition. Um, if you're a fan of science history, you probably know about this one. Are we talking Benjamin Franklin? We are not. Because he's the most famous Franklin I've ever heard yeah, of. Yeah, I don't think he's related. This is a British Franklin. Ah. Uh, and I'm not sure of his first name at the moment, but I believe Admiral Franklin was his full title. Was he knighted by the Queen? Is I it a am, sir in front of that name? I'm not sure. He was a well-known explorer. I think he had been on other voyages to Antarctica in the south. Um, and he was near... That's the, easy, though, yeah, I that's, understand. Yeah, that's a lot easier. That's actually. a simple yes, thing. Yes. <laughs> it's even warmer there. Um, he was nearing the end of his career. And the British, um, of whom he was a subject and an admiral, wanted to find something called the Northwest Passage. Oh. Which is still, as we think about climate change, kind of a topic today. 
Um, you hear people talk about climate change and when the ice melts, shipping lanes in the Arctic will open and we'll be able to access Asia and Russia more easily from other parts of the world. This is the Northwest Passage and at that time it was a holy grail of shipping when there was no planes or anything like that to carry cargo any other way. So they were going to do this exploration to the North Pole and find the Northwest Passage. Wow. Franklin was at the end of his career and his wife volunteered him at the last minute to be the captain of this voyage. I wonder if that is suggestive of their relationship. It's actually, their relationship is really beautiful. <laughs> she was very faithful to him when he disappeared. Dun, dun, dun. She wow. had a letter writing campaign and she never lost hope that he would come back. That's did she ever see time. him again? She did not. Today she's oh, buried in a grave. With an empty grave beside her oh, for when her husband does come home. Wow. Yeah, so that's Arctic exploration, folks. The Franklin Expedition was just like a horror movie. But without it, like so many other moments in science, we would not have the discovery that we do now. So these guys packed off in two ships, um, the Erebus and the Terror made their way up to the Arctic, and they fully anticipated being frozen in the ice. That's why it's difficult to sail there. When the season changes, your ship gets literally frozen into the ice. They sailed up there, making maps as they went. At this time, they thought there was a continent under the North Pole. They mm. thought it was a shallow sea, and they were trying wow. to figure Yeah, they didn't know anything. And so the Franklin Expedition had a newfangled steam-powered engine on their ship. Mm. They were feeling real confident. They also were packing a hold full of the newest food item to come out of modern Britain, which was canned food. So they were packing canned food provisions, a steam engine, and they were making their way to the Northwest Passage. But what happens? You can guess. They got frozen in ice. Oh. And without maps, they were navigating away from their goal, even though they didn't know it. Really, mm. underneath, they were completely lost in the Arctic. Wow. Frozen and helpless, away from human contact. And frozen, they remained there for two entire years. With How many uh, people were on this uh, with him? Arctic crews tend to be pretty small. Yeah. I think it was about 45 people. Oh, my goodness. You know, including some of the toughest sailors, some of the best admirals. A lot of this crew was experienced in this kind of voyage from the Antarctic. So these guys were rough and tough. They were prepared for this kind of thing. But then things started to take a really bad turn Ooh. as they were stuck in ice for two years. You know, they took measurements, they did what they could, but being trapped there, the ship started to crush inward mm. and become unstable. Wow. And these poor guys, they were performing Shakespeare plays to keep their spirits up. They had keg parties on the ice to try to pretend like everything was okay. The, it's sort of this beautiful, bittersweet story of them trying to make everything normal when they knew the Arctic was closing wow. in. Franklin died somewhere along in here, and the health of the crew started to deteriorate, the mental state started to deteriorate, and they made a decision to leave the ship. In like the middle... And then go off on foot. Yes. To where they wow. didn't even know. Oh my gosh, how frightening. Yes. And scary. Their hope was to find some land somewhere. So they packed up their lifeboats and the last of their sledges and their supplies, harnessed it to their backs um, because they didn't have any dogs anymore. They'd eaten them um, and dragged them over the ice. 
And that's where we lose the crew completely. There were some Inuit eyewitnesses who saw some of this. Um, and the crew left a hidden note under a rock at their departure point. Wow. Where people understood that they had left to find land. So their ship began literally crumbling yeah. because of the pressure. Yes. And they had to make that incredible decision to go off on foot. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in, in a smaller vessel to land on, on and, then, yeah. and then go off on foot. Mm-hmm. How frightening. And they could only bring whatever provisions they either had left yeah. or could wear on their back or yeah. much, much smaller. And it was full Arctic dark at this time, we think. Um, and the local Inuits were not allied to them, but they saw some of this happening. But here's the, the kicker. Oh, these poor guys. We think that all along they were trapped on the Franklin expedition in the, in the ship. Trusting in scientific progress, they were eating canned goods that had been sealed with lead. And so these men were slowly being lead poisoned. Um, There's traces of botulism in these canned goods because the canned goods were new. It was a new technology. So they were malnourished, possibly suffering from mental effects of lead, which might have led to some of these decisions. And, um, you know, lost in the Arctic. So you're saying, like, lead toxicity mm-hmm. led, and I'm using some quotes here, yeah. led to some poor decisions. It did. Oh, oh that's, my that's goodness. That's what we think. It's still controversial, plus we don't have the record of what actually happened. But tests on the, the bodies that were recovered show high levels of lead and um, definitely scurvy and malnutrition, botulism and things like that. So anyway, with the Franklin Expedition, these poor men, hoping against hope, dragging their boat across shifting ice, they disappear. It's like four years later by the time they send the first search party out to find them, five years later. They can't find anything, they search and search. And no trace. Finally, they ask the local Inuit, what happened? Have you seen anything? And the British began to wish they hadn't asked the Inuit because the Inuit led them (laughs) to some of the final resting places of some of the crew on a place called King William Island. They had made it to land after like hundreds of miles and there they died. But the Inuit evidence and the eyewitnesses and then the post-mortem examination of the bodies held up that the last days of these men was a feast of cannibalism. Oh, my. Yeah, they were starving, they were out of their minds, they were just beyond human limits. And the Inuit eyewitness testimony was just a scene of, of pretty uh, graphic cannibalism. And post-mortem examination bore that out. Mm. Um, and the British were shocked. Oh, heavens, they wanted to keep that story down. Um, but it got out. And so we know a little bit about the Franklin Expedition, how it ended in disaster. And thanks to Inuit testimony, we actually found the Erebus and the Terror sunk under the North Pole. Oh, wow. Yes, we just found it a few years ago. And hopefully there's going to be some records or something we can recover to find the last days of their expedition and know wow. the real story. Wow, but Gosh, it's like a horror movie. There's actually a miniseries called um, The Terror uh, about this expedition, and it's quite creepy. Wow. Yeah. How frightening. Just, you know, how brave yes. this entire group was yes. and the... And the feeling that they were going to conquer this yes. and, and the passion that mm-hmm. went into doing this mm-hmm. only to find literally their ship beginning to crumble. Mm-hmm. They had to escape and then out of survival wind up eating each other. Yes. That is so 
such a tragic end to what could have been such a glorious uh, expedition. Yes, and, and they were they were fully confident in science, and you know, they were fully confident in their ability to navigate, but the North Pole kind of checkmated them. But the cool thing about this story, the way that we like to look at it today, is not that it was some, you know, cannibalistic, you know, mess tragedy of, of hubris. It was a moment of exploration that allowed generations later to build upon it and actually reach and understand the North Pole. Right. The right. expedition that came after it that was successful built on Franklin's mistakes. Oh, certainly. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and that's I guess that's what always motivates the next generation, yes. if you will, of explorers. Yes. Because, you know, you you Science takes us to a certain point and then people with even more imagination and even more curiosity will take that lead and advance it. So that's really cool. Or in this case, cold because it was so terribly cold there. But very, very interesting Mm -hmm. that it was really the indigenous peoples that were there that I guess witnessed Mm -hmm. – this humanity of the exploration, followed by survival, mm-hmm. f- followed by desperation. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's that's tricky. And I guess history will just show that, you know, even though things didn't turn out for the Franklin expedition mm-hmm. the way they all had hoped and prayed, however, it advanced the level of understanding of... Um, the North Pole, or at least the human spirit of being able to set forth on a journey and and attempt to accomplish something that had never been accomplished before. Yes, absolutely, Dan. The story is amazing on a scientific level for the contributions that the Franklin crew gave to later science. And it's also awesome on a human level. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So we, we thank Franklin. You know, nowadays the Arctic... And what's happening up there with global warming is a big deal. We wouldn't have the knowledge we would without him. So after Franklin, um, there was a Norwegian exploration. Um, Norwegians, you know, being up close to the Arctic, um, were ready to tackle it. And there was a young man called Fritjof Nansen, um, who was a... Can we just pause for a moment and and acknowledge (laughs) what a beautiful pronunciation (laughs) Narwhal Nina just made of this uh, Norwegian gentleman? Excellent. Uh, I've been to Norway. Highly recommend it. Uh, For our Norwegian friends listening, I say skull. And thank you for being such amazing people. Um, Norwegians are tough folks, and they're used to the cold. And so Mr. Nansen um, studied the Franklin Expedition. He knew he wanted to be a polar explorer. He also learned a lot about oceanography. Mm. He actually came out with a doctorate in oceanography later in his life. Um, But he studied Franklin. He studied Arctic exploration. And one of his big takeaways was, you must have a ship that can withstand the ice. Yeah. And so he got to work designing this amazing ship. I got to see it in person. It was so cool. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, yeah. It's in a museum in Norway now. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Fritjof is a national hero. Um, His ship was called the Fram. Fram, I think. It means forward. And Fram was designed, it's kind of like a, a, a bubble of a boat. If you can picture a child's toy, maybe, that they play with in the bath, it, it doesn't narrow down to a point. The ship is round. The hull is round. And that is what he learned from Franklin, to reinforce the ship and design it in a way that it could not be crushed in the ice. 
It could harbor a crew for And a yet still float. Yes, it's a functional ship, but it has this sort of bubble shape to the hull. It would be cute if the science of ice exploration wasn't so uh, intense. And deadly. Uh, yeah, and it was tiny. Fritjof also knew um, too much crew could be a liability. And so the Fram was designed to hold maybe 12 people. It was Wow. But it was tough. That's itty bitty. Yeah. And so, you know, he learned from this and he survived. He was the one who made it out because of Franklin's contribution. Yeah. So they sail the Fram up to the North Pole. It freezes in the ice and they're just hunky dory. You know, they're sitting there freezing in the ice and he's taking measurements. He realizes on his expedition, because they're safer and less precarious, they do more science. They realize it's an ocean, not a continent. And they realize the currents are moving this way and that way. And the discovery of the currents is a huge deal today for Arctic exploration, polar science. Yeah. Um, anyway, Nansen and his crew were, you know, tucked in the ice there, all doing the Fram thing. And Nansen got the itch. He said, we're going to try it. We're going to try to make it to the North Pole, boys. So he gets his skis and his dog sled, thanks to his Inuit guides. They had several Inuits helping them on this mission. He gets one other Norwegian guy. They put on the skis and they make for the North Pole. Um, incredibly, they didn't quite make it. I think they were with about 100 miles of it mm. before the shifting ice just made it impossible. Remember, they, they had to kayak hundreds of miles at a certain point. This was a very kayak-heavy expedition. Wow. And so they make it to land. You know, knowing what they know from Franklin, they make it to land. And they have to overwinter on a tiny island before they can walk back to Norway. So... Um, they've kind of discovered the Arctic, they've learned about it, and so Fritjof and his companion hack a shelter into a cliff. Wow. They shoot a bunch of walrus, and they put the walrus skins around them, and they prepare to hunker down for an Arctic winter, sleeping together like buddies in a stinky walrus skin, <laughs> hoping they can survive. And they did. Yeah. Nansen made it back on foot. Um, from the Arctic, five days after the crew of the Fram made it. And with that, there was so much scientific contribution from that expedition. We really understood the North Pole for the first time. Wow. Yes. Wow. Oh, man, those stories just give me chills. And, and you know, once again, the, the, uh, the passion and the uh, sense of adventure mm -hmm. and uh, dedication of, of humanity to to really you know conquer yes this this goal gosh think of all the scientists yeah famous ones not so famous ones who have died in the yeah. pursuit of discovery i'm thinking like marie curie and all that she gave oh sure you know snake scientists who get bit and then track how it kills them so we know Ugh. science is just an incredible endeavor and it, it's a chain of people through the ages all making these brilliant sacrifices and discoveries um, but before I get too excited about that, I'd like to read a quote from Nansen's journal. Oh, um, uh, you know, lovely. Since it's the holiday season, I thought you guys might like this seasonal quote from North Pole explorer Fritjof Nansen. Oh, uh, lovely. Yes, he is, okay, imagine it, howling Arctic dark, nonstop storms, the temperature's got to be below zero. They're hacked into a cliff, huddled together in walrus skins, and it's Christmas Day. And so, you know, this year, thinking about sacrifice and advancing humanity, this year I know Christmas might seem a little bit different for a lot of us um, as we keep it more socially distanced. And that's okay. 
at least you're not having a Christmas like Fritjof Nansen. Um, but Nansen made it through and so will we. So here is his diary. And remember, stinky walrus skin um, sleeping bag. And here he is um, thinking about Christmas time. Now the bells of home are ringing the feast of Christmas in. I can hear the peal of the bells swinging through the air from the church steeples. How beautiful it sounds. Now the candles on the Christmas trees are being lighted. The children are allowed in and dance round in joyous delight. I must give a Christmas party for the children when I return. This is the time of rejoicing, and there is feasting in every cottage at home. But we are celebrating in our modest way. Johansen has turned his shirt inside out and is also wearing his outer shirt underneath. I have done the same, but I have also changed my underpants and put on the others which I had wrung out in warm water. I have also had a complete washdown in a quarter of a cup of warm water using my discarded underpants as sponge and towel. Lovely. I now feel like a completely new man. My clothes do not stick to my body as much as they did. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy solstice to everyone. <laughs> wow, that was a very interesting uh, quote. Yes. You know, remember when you got disappointed because you didn't get Hot Wheels or something? Yeah. Man, Fritjof Nansen turned his clothes inside out and took a hot bath in a quarter cup of water with discarded underpants and felt like a completely new man. Well, that's kind of like Ooh. making uh, lemonade from lemons, Truly right? Truly it is. <laughs> Truly it is. You know, when you've been a long time without a shower, it always makes you feel like a new person. Yes, absolutely. Yes, for so sure. If Christmas, the holidays aren't quite what you're hoping for this year, remember, it can always be uh, more difficult. Yes, <laughs> At least certainly. you have hot water. Certainly. And cocoa and marshmallows. Certainly. <laughs> and the next time I take a hot shower, I'm going to think that... Um, that person that you were just reading about had a, what was it, a quarter cup? A quarter of cup warm water? of warm water, using my discarded underpants as sponge. Lovely, yes, yes. Arctic explorers, man. Incredible, Arctic explorers, incredible. Yeah. All right, well, thank you so much, everybody, for joining our discussion today about the North Pole and some of the interesting folks that that made it their passion to get there and just and challenge themselves and challenge science to to brave the climate uh, and arrive there so that is really really incredible really really empowering um and I'm going to certainly take a lot away from from our discussion today knowing that no matter how hard or harsh in this case, our circumstances can be, there, there can be silver linings and you just have to take it, you know, one day at a time and one step at a time and look for, you know, the challenge and the good and everything. Absolutely, Dan. Well said. You know, Arctic explorers show us that human courage is tremendous. The things that humans can endure is tremendous. You have that capacity too. We all do. So I wish you guys a wonderful holiday season. Remember, even if it's a little different this time, we are strong. We are powerful beings as humans. And just like Fritjof Nansen, we're going to make it through. Yes. Well, thank you very much, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.
Thanks for joining us on our Science Made Fun podcast. Sir Isaac Newton said of his discoveries, If I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. North Pole exploration shows us that the bitter challenges we face today can lay the foundation for a better and brighter tomorrow. All of us at High Touch High Tech wish you a warm and wonderful holiday season. See you next time.